What's going on, ladies, gents, and everything in between? My name is Hush. Welcome to Ball Things Considered. Today is Free Agency Eve, 629. It's a Wednesday. We are 22 hours out from Free Agency, breaking at 6 p.m. Eastern on Thursday the 30th. We're going to be talking, mostly recapping what's happened the past couple days, get ourselves ready for what's about to ensue. First thing and the biggest news of the day is DeJounte Murray, the first-time All-Star, 25-year-old, one-time All-Defense, youngest All-Defense player ever, by the way. His second season, even though he only played like 20 minutes, it's really weird. All-Defense, All-Star, 25, good contract, about 16 a year, next two years, is now an Atlanta Hawk. Did really well building suspense, didn't I? The Hawks are sending Danilo Gallinari's $20.1 million expiring back to the Spurs, as well as the Hornets' 2023 first-round pick, the Hawks' 2025 and 2027 first-round picks fully unprotected, which is, you know, kind of no joke, and the right to a pick swap in 2026. People are lambasting both sides of the trade because this is basketball, this is the internet, how can you not get angry about something? People are talking shit about the Hawks for cashing in all their draft assets for DeJounte, who's a fringe all-star. He only made it because of an injury replacement. And then people are lambasting the Spurs because they developed the 29th overall pick into an all-star, averaging 28-9, and nine, which only Hall of Famers have ever done. And obviously he's an amazing defender as well. But they gave him up for three somewhat distant firsts and a pick swap. And Nilo Gallinari is embarrassing, expiring. I hope they work something out. I don't want him to waste a year on a tanking team. They didn't get any young player back, which, like, what the hell, Spurs? But then people are also saying the Spurs fleeced the Hawks because they got all these picks for a guy who's, like, only a fake all-star. I love it for the Hawks. I love it for both teams. You know, there's an option where we just don't get angry, and there's an option where teams don't have to automatically lose a trade. You know, it's not a standoff, win-lose. The Hawks get a top-tier point-of-attack defender, which should help Trey because Trey's a awful six foot one, like 180-pound defender. He'll never be good. He probably won't ever even be average. But he's got ridiculously high usage, and now he won't. He's getting a triple-double threat, a guy who had the ball at all times because he had to. He knows what it's like. The Hawks didn't even have a second point guard. Like they did, Their other point guard was DeLon Wright, who's not a point guard. Other than that, it's Lou Williams and Kevin Herter and not even Chris Dunn anymore giving them the ball handling duties, which is pitiful. They seriously had the worst point guard room in the NBA. If you consider it from the aspect that they only had one human being that can play the position. Now, they get an all-star at the position and... DeJounte's really, really good off ball. He's not a shooter, but his shooting splits are somewhat more livable off of the catch and shoot. And like we said, Trey's a terrible defender. Now they get an elite one who's also six foot five and rebounds like crazy and can just create so that Trey off ball for the first time probably ever. He certainly wasn't at Oklahoma and he certainly wasn't his first few years with the Hawks. And I doubt he was in high school when you're like this damn good. How are you going to be off ball? Who's going to be better than you? It's like Kobe always said, if I pass the ball, <laughs> I'm giving it to somebody worse than me.
<laughs> just demand it right back, Trey. So now that won't necessarily be that bad. DeJounte is, I love him so much. I've got so much stock in him. His contract, like I said, is really, really good. I said he expires after next season, at which point he's probably going to be obligated by the Hawks to whatever the max is, just like Drew Holiday got after the Bucks traded for him, just like Chris Paul got after the Rockets traded for him. And that's fine. He's going to deserve it. He's going to get better. He should have won most improved player this year. He got votes for it. He is officially 21.1 points, 8.3 rebounds, 9.2 assists, led the NBA in steals this year. Shot 46% from the floor, 32.7 from deep on 4.3 attempts, which is his career high and kind of his career high on threes, considering he never took much before microscopic 2.6 turnovers. And that's going to get even better than 9.2 to 2.6 ratio because he won't be getting swarmed all the time. So yeah, very, very good. And the Hawks aren't done because they had to do so little to get him. They still have DeAndre Hunter on the roster. They still have Bogdan Bogdanovich on the roster. They still have John Collins. They still have Clint Capella and Anyeka Okongwu. Okongwu of the two the Hawks think incredibly high of, as they should. He could step into the starting center role, I think, very admirably next year and let them cash in the Clint Capella chip as well in trades. They've just got plenty of assets. they still got Sharif Cooper and Jalen Johnson rounding out the end of their rotation. Two guys who did nothing as rookies but could do a lot as sophomores because they were steals in the draft. Hawks' direction is great. They look primed to make another consolidation move. And even if they don't, Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, and Clint Capella with Okongwu as an elite sixth man helping that defense, that's scary. From a roster talent perspective, Bogdan Bogdanovich and Herder also coming off the bench from a roster talent perspective, they're better than the team that made the Eastern Conference Finals in the 2021 playoffs before they lost to the Milwaukee Bucks in five games. That's pretty nuts. I want them to go after Rudy Gobert because DeJounte and Rudy are the best defender in the NBA and one of the 10 best guard defenders in the NBA at the same time, which gives you a floor defensively. I think Rudy by himself does of at least 40 wins, and Trey gives you a floor of 40 wins offensively. So by my math, that's 80-2 and two over the whole regular season, and DeJounte will help both aspects tremendously compared to last year. Trey by himself, man, it was ugly. He's that high-floor offense like I'm talking about, but they lost in five games to the Heat, barely winning in a game where everybody was injured on the other side, and Trey averaged 15 points on 40% true shooting because he you just swarm him, and that's the end of the game. For the Spurs, they tanked their ass off. They wanted to tank. They're going to continue to tank. They've got so many young guards that I guess they kind of want to chill. They really only want talent at more promising positions, and the Hawks couldn't offer that. DeAndre Hunter was off the table in this trade and will be in Rudy Gobert negotiations, as we've heard before. They have Trey Jones, Josh Primo, who was the youngest player in last year's draft. 
Malachi Branham, who was a true freshman and is one of the youngest players in this draft. Blake Wesley, Blake Wesley from Notre Dame. All those guys are playing guard for him. They got Keldon Johnson. They got Devin Vassell. Jakob Pertl's an expiring. They definitely need help above the three slot in terms of young guys. And guess what? Osar Thompson, Amen Thompson, and Victor Wimbanyama could round out the top three to top five in this draft class, and they're tanking their ass off. They're loading on picks. They're losing games on purpose. It's a Greg Popovich bonanza. He's not going to distance himself from Darius Sloan very much when they go 11-71 <laughs> this year, but he's popped, so it won't be a blemish on his record, as it shouldn't be. Yeah, I think a prospective Rudy Gobert trade for the Hawks package would start around John Collins and Onyeka Okongwu, but it could also go the other direction, where they prefer Clint Capella. I don't think they will. Collins and Okongwu are the team's two biggest assets outside of DeAndre Hunter, who, like we said, is off-limits. So for salary purposes, you could throw in Bogdan Bogdanovich as well to get them to Rudy Gobert's 37. And I was thinking if they do that, they're going to need somebody back. That could be Royce O'Neal or that could be Jordan Clarkson, depending if they want dribbling or defense and rebounding. Clarkson obviously shot creation as well. And that would give you Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, DeAndre Hunter, and Rudy freaking Gobert. The best defender in the world, a top 10 guard defender, and an elite wing defender who's only getting better and was just the fourth overall pick and has shown so many flashes. God, he's so good. And then in the last spot, you're probably going to be ending up with Clint Capella on your team in that Gobert trade in order to get it done based on how much the Jazz are asking. And so you can flip Clint Capella to another team in order to fill that final starting spot because Capella and Gobert... I love Twin Towers. I love big men as much as you can get, but that's a little bit redundant. There's no chance that they share the floor, and so you're not going to keep Capella around for 15 minutes. You flip him to a team like Brooklyn or a team like Dallas or a team like Toronto who might be leading odds right now in Vegas to acquire DeAndre Ayton or, I mean, maybe a team like Charlotte. I don't know what they're doing with Mark Williams. Um, I had one other good team. But you can get yourself another starter, like potentially Gary Trent Jr., um, Tim Hardaway Jr. I just wrote this down. Gary Trent, Tim, Tr Joe Harris from the Nets, or Cam Johnson from the Phoenix Suns, because they're going to lose Aiton. And the Suns don't seem keen on keeping Cam Johnson because they're going to have to pay him after this year. But the Hawks have an extension kicking in for DeAndre Hunter after this year. And then they have to pay DeJounte Murray the year after that. So the time that they can spend is this year. And so, hey, get Cam Johnson and extend him, you know? Gary Trent Jr., Joe Harris, and Tim Hardaway Jr. are all making between 14 and 20. I do believe Cam Johnson, he's an 8. He won't get more than 20 in an extension. If that, he's like 26, even though he just got into the league. Because he was super old out of North Carolina. But yeah, I'm sorry. I love the Hawks. I love DeJounte. I love this deal. So I'm never going to stop talking about Trey, DeJounte, Joe Harris, DeAndre Hunter, Rudy Gobert. It's three all-defense guys, a top five offensive player in the league, and a top five shooter if it's Joe Harris, an elite shot creator, Tim Hardaway Jr. if it's him, another great shooter and great defender in GTJ, who's overcast in his role but is a real fifth starter on that team, or Cam Johnson, who's smooth as butter, 
and is used to a small role and can play defense, and he's big. Yeah, we will get in one second after this break to... I'm not even going to spoil it. There's been more trades. There's been more movement. There's been big signings. All right, you knuckleheads. It's been one second real time for you. It's been 1.1 seconds real time for me. I'm really fast at drinking water. The next biggest deal of the day was this morning at about 10 a.m. Eastern time, the Washington Wizards completed a deal with the Denver Nuggets in which the Nuggets received Kentavious Caldwell-Pope and Ishmael Smith, better known as Ish. Both guys are on expiring deals for $14 and $5 million respectively. And in return, the Washington Wizards were sent over from the Mile High City point guard Monte Morris and shooting guard small forward Will Barton. And they're making $16 million and $9.6 million. Barton the 16, Morris the 9.6. Morris has one more deal after this one. So he's the only non-expiring. Will Barton is the 16 expiring. KCP expiring. Ish Smith expiring. And so we'll start with the Nuggets first because they actually matter. <laughs> KCP is a straight-up upgrade over Will Barton. He's a better defender, better defender at the point of attack, which they desperately need, Denver, that is. He's a better ball handler as a whole. He doesn't need the ball as much to have offensive impact, and he's a better three-point shooter. So that's pretty good. Denver has been getting chewed up by guards all across the Western Conference because Jamal Murray is, while ferocious, Jamal Murray, and he's not enough by himself, and their defensive backcourt has been a mess. I mean, they're ravaged by injuries. But so Steph Curry, Donovan Mitchell, Luka Doncic, they are getting dribbled around and laughed at. Damian Lillard gave them hell in a handbasket in the 2019 conference semifinals. That was a wild series, by the way. Um, yeah, so the Nuggets had no guard defenders. Faku Kampatso is gone. Bones Highland, unfortunately, cannot defend a lick. Austin Rivers is gone, and he's not that good. He could come back. I hope he does. And so they need to defend opposing guards, and Will Barton also was not that good defensively. So KCP, huge upgrade for them. He can slot at shooting guard or small forward. Prospectively, their starting lineup is going to be Jamal Murray, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, and Nikola Jokic. And that's just really cool. <laughs> Gordon and KCP, top-notch defenders. Jamal Murray, underrated defensively. He's got a little bit of dog in him. And especially not going against another team's best guard because KCP's taking that matchup will really, really help him a lot. Aaron Gordon, another top-tier forward defender. He can be a small ball five, depending on who the opposing five is. Defensively, Jokic plays defense in a weird way, but it kind of works. I mean, he gets a lot of steals. Like, they do it without conventional rim protection. And that's just a really good five. They've got a better closing five than... They did in 2020 when they made the conference finals, and certainly better than they did last year, and honestly better than they did last year, even if they were fully healthy, because KCP's at upgrade over other fifth starter Will Barton. Losing Monte Morris is tough. He's been the best backup point guard in the league for three years now. I think he broke out in the 19 playoffs, so that would be like three years in a postseason. He's 
I mean, he's really, really good. He's a career 39.4% three-point shooter, even though he doesn't really profile as that. You know, you don't look at him and you're just like, oh, no, Dane's dribbling down the floor because he's just like a point guard. He's not a star. 48% from last year and 48% over his career. He was crazy last year. He's 48.1 and 39.4 career from the field and deep. And last year was 48.4 and 39.5. So that's 0 .03, 0.003 and 0 .001 different than his career numbers. And he averaged career highs in 4.4 assists, 12.6 points, and 3.0 rebounds which is to be expected considering his usage and the fact that he played 4.4 minutes more than his previous career high. He's just cold, man. I mean, he plays the hell out of the point guard position, and there's really no better way to put it. And the Wizards, if the Hawks have the worst point guard in the room, worst point guard room in the league, the Wizards are the other guys. The Wizards were worse. The Wizards were worse. They had, I mean, Ish Smith, period. They had Spencer Dinwiddie, and then they didn't, and they didn't get a new guy for him. So they were running with Ish Smith and Howell Neto, and partially signed late in the season. So you got a partial vet min, Tomas Sadoransky, who is also not on the team anymore. So they had nobody, like literally. They had Ish Smith, whose deal wasn't even going to be guaranteed for certain. Until so you go from Ish Smith to Monte Morris, and then you draft Johnny Davis, who isn't a point guard, but he doesn't need to be when he plays with Beal. He's a really good fit next to Beal. And so Monte Morris is a dang near perfect fit next to Beal in a backcourt. We saw the Wizards in 2019-20, a.k.a. we saw Brad Beal in 2019-20, have a top 10 offense with what can best be described as no help. The Wizards' other best players... So Beal's best teammates were in roughly this order. And remind you, this squad was a top 10 offense. Beal's best teammates were Davis Bertans and then Ish Smith and then take your pick of rookie Rui Hachimura and Thomas Bryant in his first year ever starting games or getting any sort of role. And then Troy Brown Jr. would be the sixth best player on that team. It was pretty rough. Isaiah Thomas played 40 games. Yes, the small one. Jan Mahimi, Isak Bonga, Jordan McRae. Stop me if these names don't inspire you. Jerome Robinson, Shabazz Napier, Moritz Wagner, Anzasis Pesasneaks, CJ Miles. CJ Miles played 161 minutes for the Wizards that year. Garrison Matthews, first action of his entire career. Admiral Schofield. Played in half of the games. Doesn't get better. You know? All those names. That was more than 12. Like, they tried everything. And that was the best they could do. Top 10 offense because of Beal and nothing else. And so, what we can take away from that, and we can take away the year before about Beal's success next to Tomas Sadoransky, is these types of guys, like, unlock Beal in the sense that he needs true facilitators and Monte Morris is a lot like Ish and just a lot better he can actually score the ball he's a better passer he 
I mean, he can't be worse on defense, you know. I'd have to ask Nuggets fans their exact diagnosis, but he's solid. And that's going to make Beal really good. Beal's past two healthy seasons, he averaged 34-6 and six and 35-4, and 31-5-4.5. And and so 31-5-5 five and five on 47-35-87 shooting with nice turnover-to-usage ratio. Like, that guy is the center of an offense. So Monte Morris, getting him to be that guy again, and honestly could be better than that guy, given the fact that it's a better situation than it was, pretty terrifying for opposing defenses when you consider the fact that Beal was playing with garbage that wasn't even hot. It was just room temperature because nobody had touched it in several years because why would an NBA team touch it? Now he gets to play with Kyle Kuzma, Kristaps Porzingis, a developed Rui Hachimura, fresh and improved Johnny Davis, Corey Kispert, Denny Avdia, Daniel Gafford, who would have started, is now the backup and rigidly defined backup because KP is so good. That's why the Wizards did this deal. Will Barton, I mean, he's like KCP, but worse. He gets buckets. I really, really like him. He is, guess what, the Nuggets' all-time leading scorer, I do believe. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> all-time three-point maker and really high on their all-time scoring list. I think it's Alex English, and I think Jokic. And Barton's just been there for a really long time. And it's not by accident. I mean, yeah, he loves it there, but they have to love you back. And the Nuggets love him back. Yeah. This trade, he's been there since 2014. He was 24 when he got there, and he'll be 32. That's nuts. Averaged between 12 and 16 points every year of his career with Denver. Never really missed significant time. So yeah, that trade's almost entirely about Denver. But I'm a Wizards fan, and the Wizards are a borderline playing team. So they matter a little bit more than the Spurs in terms of their 21, 22 22-23 type deals. So the next deal is bigger than a deal whose best player is Contavious Caldwell-Pope, but it's not like a trade or anything. We've all known that Jalen Brunson's going to be a Nick, and that has pretty much cemented itself today. While technically tampering isn't legal, and technically you don't want to lose picks for tampering, so... <laughs> This is funny, actually. There's reports that Jalen Brunson is granting meetings to the Mavericks and the Knicks, as we know, as well as Dark Horse Miami Heat, according to Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports. And that basically means I'm just here so I don't get fined. The Mavericks and Brunson are very far apart, especially considering that the Knicks are doing ridiculous things. We'll talk about the Knicks in two seconds. In order to get Brunson the space deserved, not necessarily deserved, that's up to you, the space necessary to sign him to the deal that he's going to command. The Heat are nothings. I don't even know what would happen. It'd have to be a sign-and-trade with Kyle Lowry, and Jalen Brunson would have to be like, yeah, let's do it. Kyle Lowry would be kind of cool in Dallas. Like Him or Brogdon, I think, is definitely better than Goran Dragic, which is likely who they'll end up with. But yeah, Lowry and Luka is cool with Dinwiddie. Brogdon and Luka is cool with Dinwiddie, but I don't understand. That's probably not going to happen. The Jalen Brunson, Tyler Hero vision. What a backcourt that is. So 
Jalen Brunson supposedly, according to one report, is going to take about four one ten from the Knicks, and the distance between him and the Mavs because of I don't know New York's cool like the Knicks are worse, and it's not like he's getting more shots on the Knicks, but he really wants to be on the Knicks, and he's doesn't want to be on the team that gave him twenty plus points per game type of usage and made the Western Conference Finals, and that he's been on for what four years. He would rather go to the bright lights where people just throw garbage on the sidewalks because that's how the city was built. It smells terrible. But he wants to go there, and so it'll be about 4-1-10. And apparently it's so bad that even though the Mavs can offer him 5-1-25, that's like about where conversation would start. So if you see him as a Mavs tomorrow, it's because they absolutely pissed the bed and cowered and said, we can only spend money on our own guys. We're not going to get cap space if we let you go. So here's 5-125, which you don't deserve. So, yeah. I think that about sums it up. The Mavs are going to be interesting with the amounts of maneuvers and types of fancy financial footwork that they're going to be able to put together in order to help mitigate the loss of Jalen Brunson. Tim Hardaway Jr. coming back is going to be pretty awesome. But yeah, like we said, they're capped out as hell. Even with um, Jalen Brunson not on the books, they're going to be paying $139 million next year. So they can't go get anybody, and they're not even close. They would need to lose Davis Bertans and Dwight Powell and like Dorian Finney-Smith's new extension and like not guaranteeing Mexico Clibas next year in order to have spending money. So sign and trade would really behoove them if they wanted to get Kyle Lowry or if they can move Powell and something over to Indiana in order to get Malcolm Brogdon. The Knicks, on the other hand, I mean, you can't say it's an unbridly excited time to be a Knicks fan, but you can bridle tiny bits of that joy. Like leave most of the joy unbridled because... I mean, he's not going to be your best player, which is pretty cool that a guy roughly worth $24 million, $28-7 million, is not going to be your best player. Like, Julius Randle is going to be better than him. R.J. Barrett's going to be better than him. So that's what I was saying is I don't understand why he prefers this role other than getting to be coached by his dad, Rick Brunson, who's now on the Knicks staff, former player. And... His former agent is now the GM, Leon Rose, and his current agent is Leon Rose's son, Sam Rose. Like, yeah, sometimes you just want to play for the Knicks. And getting all that cast space finally worked. And so the other thing I've said when I was going to talk about the Knicks in a minute is, yeah, they're pretty cool now. But in order to make this deal, yesterday they made a trade with the Detroit Pistons in which they sent the Pistons and their glory their glory. Gloriful? Their cap space, which has glory upon it, was sent Nerland Noel and Alec Burks. And in order to take that money on, they also received two second round picks from the Knicks to sweeten the pot. And that's pretty cool. It's a separate deal um, by name only. I'm sure it might get looped into the first Jalen Duran Charlotte Hornets deal that happened on draft night. So Alec Burks helps the Pistons because he's really good at playing guard. Um, 
My man Mark Schindler quoted elegantly when he said, nobody's been better the past two years at turning shit into silver like Eric Alec Burks does. He had no business running point guard last year. He is a pro's pro. He's awesome. He averaged 12, 5, and 3 next, last year while shooting 40% from deep. Terrible, terrible Knicks team and situation. He played 81 games, which is almost the most he can. Nerlens Noel, another big. I mean, they're a weird big situation in Detroit, so I'm sure they're not the most worried about that. They just picked up Jalen Duran. They already had Kelly Olynyk and Isaiah Stewart and Marvin Bagley on the roster. They're probably out of the eight in sweepstakes, but they're still less than plus a thousand. They're still mentioned on the list. Eight and Duran could work, but they've got all the other pieces to move. But yeah, Jalen Brunson, if he's not a New York Nick, like there's not even betting odds on him, I don't believe anymore. He's just gonna be a Nick. So, I mean, you could probably throw ten dollars on Heat plus five thousand or some shit, just because Vegas likes to take the money. But he's a Nick. That's like the next biggest news today. You know. It's more impactful than the wizard stuff, but we kinda already knew it was gonna happen. And we already knew it was going to happen. So another thing not new, but since free agency hasn't officially opened yet, it's as new as it's going to get, is John Wall was bought out by the Houston Rockets in the final year of his contract, which, no surprise, he opted into $47 million. It's kind of something a lot of human beings would like to have. So the Rockets bought him out, and he's expected to immediately sign with the Los Angeles Clippers once free agency opens. And so John Wall is a very good player. That's one thing that you guys need to know about basketball is that John Wall is pretty good. He he had a rough. He tore his ACL in early 2019, and then while rehabbing his ACL, he tore his Achilles. And so he went almost as long as Clay Thompson without playing a single game. And then two weeks before it was due to come back in December of 2020, he was traded along with a first-round pick, protected 2023, for Russell Westbrook. Because, you know, worst contract in the league, worst contract in the league, difference always better, you know, let's swap wives. And so he played 40 games for Houston in that 2021 season because he was healthy and he wanted to play basketball like crazy. And so in those games, he averaged 20.6 points and 6.9 assists. So yeah, like we call that 21 and 7 around here. So when you average 21 and 7 at age 30, coming off back-to-back season-ending injuries that happened at the same time, like Marcus Lattimore, that's good. 3.5 turnovers, less desirable, 40% from the field, 40.4, and 31.7% from three. Less desirable as well. 75% from the line. I mean, that's about what he does. Nothing weird there. His usage was too high. That Rockets team was terrible. They had just signed Christian Wood and Boogie Cousins and were like, oh, look, John Wall and Harden. That's different than Russell Westbrook and Harden. And we're expecting to like have James Harden and go at it a different way. Ultimately, Harden plays 13 games and then becomes a Brooklyn Nets. So they didn't get their tank on. They didn't have any young picks to throw on the team and develop. They are just shitty season in the mire that ultimately ended up with Wall only playing 40 games because they wanted to shut him down. 
and Jalen Green, the second overall pick. And Alperen Shangun and Usman Garuba. You know, nice little stuff going on. So Wall is now a Clipper. He won't have to do that. He will not have to do that. And thank goodness he won't have to do that because he was not capable of doing it. He shot a career low, even from his rookie year, at the rim that year. He took a career low at the rim that year. He was terrible from three that year. Worst he had been since, like, he wasn't taking them. So, eight years. He's worst from mid-range. He just didn't have himself a year, by most accounts. He was decent from 10 to 16. I will say, John Wall had a decent from 10 to 16 feet shooting percentage year, although only 5.4% of his shots came from that range. He had just 10 dunks, not a high amount. He's on the Clippers now, baby. He's on the Clippers now. And the Clippers have needed the point guard since Chris Paul. I didn't want to say it, but yeah, it's Chris Paul. Like, Reggie Jackson is a good NBA player, no doubt. But he's like a whatever point guard. The one time Lou Williams that year, the fun Lou Will, Pat Bab, Danilo Gallinari year, that was fun. Lou Will was playing point guard, and that's not it either. John Wall's better than that even though he's not going to be a fringe all-star like Lou Will was. That year was crazy, fringe all-star Lou Will. He would need that. He needs that notch on his belt of an all-star berth more than Mike Conley did. John Wall is still a very good point-of-attack defender, which is really, really nice for a Clippers team that plays their ass off on defense. But they've got fake defender Marcus Morris playing an unfortunate amount of minutes. And Reggie Jackson was also playing for them, which isn't ideal. But, I mean, Norm Powell, defense. Robert Covington, defense. Kawhi Leonard, defensive player of the year. Paul George, freaking defense. All defense, defense. If it's a Zubats, nice defender, you know? So throwing John Wall in there takes Reggie Jackson, the weak link away, and throws somebody who can pass the ball much better than Reggie Jackson, who, unfortunately, most of his assists were by product of usage. You know, like nobody averages 30 points and 1.5 assists just because you use the ball, passes happen, no matter who you are. Reggie Jackson's not a bad passer, but he's not really a pure point guard. John Wall's a pure point guard. He is great at driving and penetrating and dishing, which Reggie Jackson's offense, and he's still on the team. He's going to be awesome. Reggie Jackson's offense is perimeter-oriented. And with perimeter beasts and perimeter bombers, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and Norman Powell, getting them open looks is something that they really have not been able to do as well as they deserve since their time as Los Angeles Clippers. Like I said, because of the lack of not just a good point guard, but really any point guard at all. That was such an impressive thing. They both averaged career high in assists in Clippers uniforms as a result of no longer playing with Tony Parker or Kyle Lowry or Russell Westbrook or Jeff Teague, George Hill. I'm clawing at scraps on that one. But no longer. They've got pure-ass point guard John Wall. And John Wall's going to go crazy. It's honestly the best buyout market player in some time. 
buyout players do not do what you think they did. They'll be like Joe Johnson or DeMarcus Cousins for the Nuggets. Like, that's the type of guys you're getting. And that ain't much. John Wall is going to be their starter. And he's not going to play 82 games because, of course, not. But John Wall is an upgrade out of nowhere for a team that doesn't have cap money. He's going to go into their taxpayer exception and make $6.5 million a year for a team that's already paying $163 million for their current roster. And it's going to be more than that when Nick Batum extends. Nick Batum, another fringe-worthy news. <laughs> Is Nick Batum opted out and is expected to extend for around three years, $30 million? All-time bag-getter Nick Batum is. I mean, he deserves it. Like, when you think about how little $10 million actually is now, Nick Batum is getting it. And he revived the past two years on the Clippers, especially this past year. He, oh my goodness. He's... 40% in change, 40.2% from three over two years, these past two years. Playing 126 games, 26 minutes a pop. That's kind of cold as hell, knowing that he gives you that good defense. In a way, he's better than Marcus Morris for what he is, and especially relative to his salary and what we expect out of Marcus Morris and the kind of usage the two guys get. Marcus Morris is como se dice not him, even though... <laughs> He shot 47% from three over 57 games as a Clipper a year ago. Marcus Morris is not him. He's going to be fine in reduced role with Kawhi back, which is going to be very cool. John Wall, big deal. If Kawhi is fully back, huge deal. I mean, think about the team that I just read out. This is like the John Wall segment, but it's basically the Clippers segment because Clip Show, John Wall, Norman Powell, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, if it's a Zubats. Or if you don't want Powell to start because you've already got enough offense, then you slide him out and you slide Marcus Morris, who I think he sucks, but he's still pretty good. I only think he relatively sucks. And then Zubats, right? And Robert Covington, if you want, also, instead of Morris. And if that's the case, think about your bench mob. Reggie Jackson, Luke Kennard, Robert Covington, Norman Powell, Nick Batum, Terrence Mann could all be coming off the bench for them next year. And if they keep Isaiah Hardenstein, then Isaiah Hardenstein too, who played the best basketball of his career after getting picked up also on the buyout market for the Clippers down last season's stretch. That's the deepest team in the NBA. Straight up, the Clippers are the deepest team in the NBA, and they just got a new starter. Like a guy who's starting level quality and better than their previous starter who's good enough to start NBA games already. By the way, when did Reggie Jackson turn 32? He's 32 and Batum is 33. Isn't that a little silly? Reggie Jackson, Paul George, Marcus Morris are all the same age. This is the year for the Clippers, man. If Kawhi Leonard is Kawhi Leonard, they're my title favorites. I'm rooting for them so bad. Already I love them a lot. And now they get John Wall, who might be my favorite player ever. I, I'm Drew Holiday. Probably him and Drew Holiday. Favorite to wear a Wizards jersey. That's really, really cool. That's a big deal. Spent 10 minutes on him when I spent like... <laughs> it's fine. I love the Clippers. Good on them. I know John Wall's not a 20-7 and 7 guy. If I had to throw a stat out for him, 14.5, 2.8, 5.1. 
on 43.4, 33.9 shooting and a good turnover ratio and good defense given his small usage. That's not bad. That's far from bad. It's better than Reggie Jackson and you keep Reggie Jackson. Wow. Clip show. Oh, Chemezi Metu. How could I forget about my boy? The Metu movement. He has played four years in the NBA. Two for the San Antonio Spurs, two for the Sacramento Kings. Played a career high in games, minutes, points, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks. Last year, of course. Dramatic pause because I'm thinking about how much I love this move for the Kings. <laughs> 60 minutes at tw- 60 games at 21 minutes a pop for the Kings last year. So he's an actual rotation player. They picked up the fifth year of op- the fifth year team option on the former 49th overall picks contract. He went to USC. He is just turned 25 years old. And like I said, 8.9 points, 5.6 rebounds in 21 minutes is not nothing. 45% from the field. He couldn't really hit the three, but he was taking them. 3.1 attempts, considering that usage and considering that that's what? Three over seven and a half. 40%, 40% 40%, 40% three-point rate, a little more than that, 41%. That's kind of nuts. So he's a Zudo stretch big, and he's very young, so he could get his percentages up from 31. Yeah, I mean, he's a nice big body, big bends, 6'9", 225, rotation player. They need bodies, honestly. It's a little bit rough. They got Sabonis and Merchan and new pick Keegan Murray. But that's kind of it. You know, Alex Len, unfortunately, is on the books. Shimazi played more than him last year, as he should, and he'll actually get better, unlike Len, which is pretty cool. Trey Lyle, sadly, on the books, and also probably not as good as Metsu. In the perfect world, you know. And they've got hmm, a little bit of money. Like, they'll have their MLE, but then they can also go and get somebody even though the center market is cold, hot, and medium garbage. Shouldn't be that bad. I had to bring him up. Go Kings. Another quick one, Patty Mills turned down his player option of $6.2 million in order to return to the Brooklyn Nets. He'll instead become a free agent. Woj reports that he hasn't ruled out a return to the Nets, but also that he'll attract significant interest around the league, as he should, especially given this weak free agency class. Mills started out really, really hot at the beginning of the year because nobody was playing and he had to. And he finished the year averaging 11-2-2, 40% from deep. I mean, we all know what Patty Mills is. Spark plug. 81 games last year, 29 minutes. That's too much in both aspects. But he's a bucket, and he's going to continue to be a bucket. He's going to self-create buckets, and he's going to stretch the floor. He's going to light it up from deep. That matters. I doubt that he's going to get much more than six a year, but since he's old, I'm sure that he wants like two years, 15. You know, something easy. I guess that would be more, but he'd rather have 212 than 16.2. Yeah, shout out Patty Mills. I feel like I end every second with a shout out because I don't have a co host and solo pods to bounce it off of. Patty Mills, a lot of teams are going to be interested. Celtics fans want him badly. I mean, 
any good team can use him. Lakers, hopefully, he'll just want to take them in because Los Angeles is a good place to live and everybody likes LeBron. We'll see. That will just about do it for Free Agency Eve. Thank you so much for listening. You already know my name. It's Blue Ray Hush. All things considered, this has been a podcast on behalf of The Dispatch. T-H-E-D-Y. Whoa. S-P-A-T-C-H. TheDispatch.com. At The Dispatch. Everything you can think of. The Dispatch on YouTube. Shout out to Kofi. Bye.